Messina Covers is not just any other case company. David Messina and Erica Howard design and produce some beautiful cases that fit both form and function. And you can choose your case design, fabric and trim color, add custom engraving, and more. And of course, you can find out more at MessinaCovers.net. Peter Pickett and his crack team of craftspeople are continually innovating and providing the trumpet community with spectacular options for stock and custom mouthpieces. He and Eric Murine can help you find just the right size to fit your needs, and you should definitely consider trying the acrylic cup and rim. And if you're in the market for a custom trumpet, then Peter and Eric can build a Blackburn trumpet just for you. Check them out at picketblackburn.com. To stay current on what's going on with Studio HFL, you can follow me on social media on Facebook and Instagram. And you can watch the live and pre-recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe. My first experience with a Hammond design mouthpiece has turned into a bit of obsession. There is something very comfortable about playing one of Carl's mouthpieces. The comfort, response, and sound are part of the HD experience. Try one of the stock mouthpieces or have Carl make you a custom one. Either way, everything is better in HD, and you can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you are, I would love it if you would take just a couple of minutes and go to Apple Podcasts to leave a star rating and a review. Doing so will help improve the visibility of this podcast and draw more listeners. When I first tried an Eastman B-flat trumpet, I was blown away by both the playability and the sound. And the more I found out about the company and got to know the people, I knew that this was a company I wanted to have a relationship with. There is a drive for excellence in design and production of every instrument, not just the high-end products. And the proof of this is that the one and only Doc Severinsen helped to design the Eastman Beginner trumpet model. I still play that B-flat and have added a spectacular cornet and flugelhorn to my arsenal. You can find out more at eastmanwins.com. I'd love it if you'd visit the Studio HFL website and sign up for the weekly newsletter. And while you're there, you can also visit the merch page and buy a Studio HFL shirt for yourself and as a gift for someone else. Of course, you can do that at studiohfl.com. My current situation with my C trumpet is a bit ridiculous. My Shire C, which Samantha Lane helped me trial and choose, is the most versatile C I've ever played. The same goes for the new Destino designed by Doc. This horn sizzles when I need it to sizzle and is as smooth as silk when I wear my sil- uh, never mind. Uh, anyway, the line of Shire's trumpets includes the Q series, which are production models, and the custom series. Either way you go, you'll love the sound you get, and you'll also experience exceptional customer service. Find out more at seshires.com. Here's how you can access exclusive content like the interview excerpts. I'd like to invite you to become a part of the Studio HFL community by going to Patreon and choosing from one of the four tiers of support. You can help to financially support the show for as little as $36 a year. That's only $3 a month. Benefits include exclusive access to interview excerpts, a behind-the-scenes report, an invitation to be in the room with a guest during an interview, product discounts, and more. You can join the community of faithful supporters by visiting patreon.com slash studio HFL. So uh, here we are. What is this? February, mid-February 2022. All of us are kind of hoping to emerge from uh, our cocoon for the last who knows how long. Um, And I was just saying to you a couple of minutes ago, it's going to be four years in May. and are you going to be in San Antonio? I'm planning on going for sure. I okay. will be there. I'm really excited to go and, and see everybody, especially, you know, you, you know, you'd mentioned it had been four years. I can't believe it. Um, yeah. It, well, it was the last San Antonio. That's, you know, that's where we met. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you were hanging out, I think, when I was interviewing, who was it? Or I was talking to somebody. Oh, well, I... I've uh, known Bruno for a long time from, um, from Brazil. And so right. we were hanging out chatting and you were, you know, um, sharing a loft of, uh, at that time. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I was just learning, uh, that everybody knows Bruno, right. You oh, know, yeah. it's like, of course. So. 
Uh, I've learned a lot you know, over the last three and a half years, you know, uh, met a lot of people uh, and uh, talked a lot of trumpet, uh, but I've talked a lot of life too, which I think has actually been a lot more interesting uh, than trumpet. We can talk trumpet anytime, right? Right. I know. I, I didn't, I purposefully, I knew how your podcast go. I mean, it would, didn't need my trumpet sitting here next to me and pulling mouthpieces out. And it's not that kind of a podcast, which is why your, your podcasts are pretty special, you know? Oh, you, you, yeah. Well, really I, cool. darn it. See, I was going to ask you to do some playing for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I go back. This is kind of cool. I'm going back to the early interviews. Our, our first interview was audio only, uh, but I'm transcribing those and I'm putting all of those on YouTube, uh, oh. even though there won't be a visual other than, you know, the logo and uh, pictures of you that I steal from your website and, and the internet. But uh, just another way to get the interviews out there. YouTube's actually been a great uh, avenue for promotion. Oh, but I'm sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so what prompted this conversation was this this release of this tornado, right? <sighs> um, okay, so I had heard a little bit, and then I said, "Hey, send me however many copies," and I sent those out to to some friends and sponsors. Which that's really they're the same, right? Friends are sponsors, sponsors mm -hmm. are friends. Um, and then Dan Gosling. Uh, went nuts on Instagram about it, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I was I was stunned. I, I'm always so grateful when people are are um, are listening because you know you put stuff out there and you you. I mean, I I never expected anybody really to even listen, and so to get some really great feedback, mm -hmm. and then and Dan, of course, that was really fun because mm -hmm. because the dust has settled now. The the album was out. It came out in August, and so that first you know month or two it's just been going like gangbusters and then things kind of level out a little bit to the norm and and so dan having really uh, enjoyed it that was really fun that was a nice shot in the arm um okay so you know august comes the release right that's like uh when you finally get to light the candles on the birthday cake but it takes an awful lot of time to put this birthday cake together right sure yeah, it was uh, a, a long, a long process for sure. Okay, so when did you even start thinking about this? Well, you know, I'd been thinking about the about an album or doing something for a long time for 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 several years. Um, I knew it was going to be an eventual, you know, mm -hmm. something to do. I mean, no matter where you you play, you know, um, you you know this too is that people are asking, well, do you have a CD out? Do you have a recording out? And obviously I, I never did. And I didn't want to just put something out just to do it. I wanted something that really represented who I am. And, you know, in our, our last time we chatted, it was all about playing with reverence and playing with passion and playing, you know, saying something. And I end up really calling myself a lyricist more than I am a, a trumpet player, just because that's really what I, I want to do. I want to want to send a message or, or, or say something. And um, so a few years ago, I, um, I thought, well, I have no idea what I want to do. I just know I want to do it with, with excellence. So I started kind of going up and down the coast, um, interviewing um, re recording studios just to start there. Mm. And um, I didn't, the samples I, were, I was getting from a lot of these studios, they were really, really great, but their, their perception of sound of the trumpet was much different than what I was hearing. Hmm. They're, they're more interested in, in um, nothing wrong with it because I love Tower of Power, but it was that very brilliant, aggressive right. kind of sound. And it's so it's very, very exciting, but very different than what I was hearing in my head. And, and so I kind of tabled it and thought I would just wait and and just just keep practicing because I had lots to learn anyway, and it wasn't really right there in front of me. So then uh, I ran across someone uh, on Instagram who Instagram who had just recently won a Latin Grammy. Actually, was being nominated for Latin Grammy, and I thought, gosh, you know, if I just want to get some advice from someone, who who better to ask? So I took a chance, reached out to him, sent him an Instagram message, and he responded, and he said. 
you know, send me what videos of yourself playing, um, recordings, anything you might have, and let's just go from there. So that's what I did. And he really, really liked my sound. He thought I had a different kind of a sound, a different style. And so we just, he just connected me with uh, an arranger and we spent some time talking about what I wanted in my playing and wanted out of my recording. Mm -hmm. And I became very good friends in this process with Justo Morao, who is from Venezuela. And he's my arranger and we've become very good friends mm -hmm. um, and, and spent a lot of time talking about our, our really um, talking about our life, mm -hmm. um, our personal stories. And that really helped create that connection. And he, when we started listing some tunes, I mean, things just kind of came together pretty quickly after that, but he's an amazing arranger. Justo did all of my arrangements on the album. Including and, orchestration. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 He didn't write any of these pieces of course, but, but he did orchestrate them uh, or did all the arrangements mm -hmm. and he's, he's, a, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. Okay. So there's so many layers to this if yeah. you're talking about the playing so you know maybe let's let's peel the layers back a little bit you're talking about the arranging this the strings the orchestra that you put together i mean the the, the arrangement the orchestration is great but the playing was fantastic on this. well they're they're all um great musicians they're 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 in venezuela that was recorded in venezuela um it's sort of a long story because COVID hit during all this time so it was you know, constantly pivoting and changing what we were going to do. Originally, I was going to fly into Colombia and record just the trumpet tracks because going into Venezuela was dangerous. But then during the elections, uh, president, our presidential elections, they closed the embassy during that part of that time. And so I couldn't go there. Um, the producer had uh, some connections with some folks in, in Florida. But ended up being that he couldn't fly out of the country. So um, I thought, well, why, why would I go to Florida if um, he can't go there? So I thought, well, we'll go to California. Well, then all of California closed. So we ended up um, deciding on, on buying some real high-end equipment, microphones and all, and I recorded them in my home. Um, and, and, it, and we spent months trying different placements, different kinds of equipment. I mean, if you can imagine, I was way, I mean, this was way over my head, but so I had a big learning curve and spent a lot of time with engineering and worked out great, of course, but the musicians were, were are all studio musicians. They're freelance musicians in Venezuela. And I remoted in, zoomed in during the recording sessions and had had some things to say, but, but not a lot. I mean, they were amazing musicians, really, mm -hmm. really great. Uh, how much rehearsal did it take to put that together? Um, they did in, uh, um, it was two, two days, two sessions, mm -hmm. uh, full days. So did you lay your track then on top of that or did, had you recorded yours? Oh, you no, I recorded it after theirs. They, mm -hmm. um, recorded their tracks. Uh, we, we edited those and then they sent me some, some raw tracks and I laid down basically about three to four full full tracks, and then they took sort of the best elements of those and and put put me together, and and then it was a big job trying to find a great mastering engineer, which I had no idea how that all worked, and it's amazing um, what has to go into that part of it as well. So Herman Landeda is was um, the mastering engineer out of out of florida as a matter of fact he was originally from venezuela as well and what's really cool is that the the title uh tonada or the which is part of the second track tonada del cabracedo and that was originally written by simon diaz who is a famous legendary singer folk singer in venezuela and and herman recorded for simon um, you know, Simone's been dead now since the nineties, but, but it's an amazing kind mm -hmm. of a full circle and mm -hmm. it's sort of a goosebumps moment for Herman. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it's, I, it's a lot going into this project. Well, sure. hard to believe that you guys were not in the same room. 
putting this together. I mean, the technology is amazing, but I mean, truly the, the mastering, uh, the guy was, uh, the, the guy, gal, uh, was perfect yeah. in putting that together. Um, okay, so you're getting all this high-end equipment to try to capture your sound. Uh, the end product, would you say they got it right? That your sound that you hear on the CD is exactly? Exactly what I wanted. Exactly it was what exactly want. what I wanted. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I just, I was willing to scrap the whole project, to be honest with you, Larry. I was willing to scrap the project if it sounded like I was recording in a basement or I was recording somewhere because there are some really great recordings out and a lot of great, great recordings have come out of COVID. But, uh, and I'm not, I'm not putting down anything that came out because we needed to be creative. We needed to, ex to express ourselves during COVID. But I just didn't want to do it uh, at the expense of the quality. Um, I mean, I was willing to fly anywhere to get a great recording, but I just couldn't do it. And so um, I was going to just wait. But anyway, uh, it turned out it turned out great. I'm happy with it. Um, yeah, Were there but any it was tracks, just an enormous amount of effort. Any enormous. tracks that didn't make it on the CD? Uh, no, there were some arrangements that I, that we thought we would include and record, but, uh, I ended up tabling those. I didn't think that they fit. It was already kind of eclectic in a way. I just didn't think that they were going to, to work. Well, so. you say eclectic, but I think the, the album really flows well. I mean, there, it's it like, there's like a theme, right? Sure. It, it does. It does work. Um, and that was I I think that if I had added anything else, it, it it probably would have been a little bit a little bit different. The instrumentation was slightly different. And, um, but yeah, it all it all works. I'm thrilled. You know, Simon, like I said, Simon Diaz, his recording or his uh, song was featured on here. Actually, a couple of them, his daughter and his son both. Um, love the album and it, it, you can see on the back there wrote a couple of um, mm -hmm. notes in there too so really fun um i hadn't uh i should have researched this part but did you play trumpet on the entire thing or did you do some cornet i did uh trumpet cornet and flugelhorn i played um the isolacy i played luna de margarita on on flugelhorn and uh, Shulk and Farewell I did on cornet. I could have sworn you did Lightning Rod on cornet. As fluid, no. as, as fluid as that is. I mean, it's, it's uh... yeah. and if anybody <laughs> wants was... a definition of legato, I'm going to send them that recording. That was so hard, Larry. That was one of the hardest things I've ever played. I, um, that piece was, was written by uh, Jerry Reed, who is a legendary guitarist from Nashville back in the old days, right? He was yeah. this, one of the stars in Smokey and the Bandit mm -hmm. movies. And, and he, but he was a legendary guitarist. And I, my dad loved country music. And I shared with you in our last podcast, my dad died young, actually died 60, he was 62 and a half and, uh, years old. He was died in 2013. And he loved country and Western music, that old time music. Mm -hmm. So I wanted something, but how do we make that work? And this piece, was amazing. He, it featured what um, featured. I think it's a a tech guitar technique called the claw that that Jerry Reed invented. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I thought this would be great to do. So I I send this over um, some recordings of Jerry doing this on YouTube to my arranger, and he mm -hmm. said, "I don't know. I'm not sure this is going to work." So we sat on it for a little bit, and he came back and said, "You know what? I think we can do this." So he sends me sort of this rough outline. And when I started to play it, I said, I don't know what I was thinking. This is ridiculous. Um, the slurs are just insane. And I just spent a lot of time working on it and decided to go ahead and do it. And so- How, how many yeah. different keys did you try it in? Actually, that was the key. Oh, that we was didn't, it? We didn't, yeah, oh. we didn't change keys. I So, so my um, requirement for for Husto and in technically wise on these recordings was to to write them or arrange them that was the in the best key for the music mm. not for me mm. and if it took six sharps so be it um it just didn't matter I really just wanted to make sure it was it was for the music and I you know 
and part of the ego side of trumpet playing, I didn't want to make it easy for someone to just copy it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you say you, you, you're talking about the lyrical side, trying to be a lyricist in this, uh, but I think you're also a violinist, you know, thinking about Ashokan Farewell. Well, you're, all, you're a guitarist with Lightning Rod, but you're a violinist <laughs> with uh, the Ashokan. Uh, that was for the Ken Burns documentary, wasn't it? It was written for uh, Civil yes. War. Yes. Yes, it was actually, actually the, the piece Ashokan Farewell was written for a folk festival uh, in Ashokan um, back in, I think it was 19... 80 something mm -hmm. and and ken burns heard this and thought this was perfect for his documentary the civil war and i fell in love with this melody just gorgeous and thought we could we could do something special with it mm -hmm. as a matter of fact jay unger who wrote it um, um liked it as well i, I sent the <laughs> sent the link over to him and he wrote me a nice nice note back um it's it's funny how many people swear uh, that was taken from you know some uh uh appalachian community back in you know the 1800s you know, i know but it's so uh, perfect and that, that's yeah. absolutely right and and that's the reason i i i decided to to tip my hat to ken burns was to play it on cornet although you know who knows what kind of cornet was would have been used back then but i i would imagine it was definitely not my cornet but i i just kind of wanted to have fun with that mm -hmm. um well, it was a Con Selmer cornet, wasn't it? <laughs> Gonna throw some... Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was actually a King 2220 legend is what I, I did it on, oh. which is in the Con, Con family. It is in the okay. Con okay. Selmer family. <laughs> so, How long have you been associated with Con Selmer? Um, since 2017, I think, 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you, but you've been playing Bach or Con Selmer for quite a while. I, I have been my whole life practically, and I apologize for. It sounds like my puppy is. No, I can't hear is, it. Uh, making noise in the background. So, um, but yeah, I, um, gosh, I've been playing with Bach forty threes for forever, mm -hmm. and I would sometimes I would go away from it for a little while and and play other brands, but I came back to the to the forty three. So mm -hmm. yeah. Love well, here, it. I love it. And I see and trumpets and, and whatnot. Here's a, here's a thought. You know, I was asking if you'd played some of this on cornet or flugelhorn, but in trying to find just the right sound for each of these pieces, did you mess around with different mouthpieces? Oh, yeah. You know, what I, um, what I didn't realize, uh, I should have realized, but, you know, you're so, so much closer to the mic than you are playing on, on stage. You know, playing, on, uh, playing live, it's really quite forgiving in a, in a way, you know, it's done, you're done. But when you're playing in that, in, a, in, a, in front of this microphone, I mean, you hear every little spit, crackle, pop, and you can, you cannot lie. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, when you're fatigued and you've been practicing really hard, you can hear it. Mm -hmm. You can hear it, the fuzz in the tone when you're a little tired and you're a little swollen or puffy. And mm -hmm. so, it spent some time trying to make sure I got exactly the sound that I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was it was quite funny because um, you know a couple of, of well several of the takes at different times, you know, I'd send in a in a full take, and Kusto would say, "Well, it's you know it sounds great, but I, you sound tired." You know, like oh no, so I'd go back and re-record the whole thing, and I I learned how to listen better in, in these headphones that I, that I, these studio headphones I have learned, learned how to, how to listen properly and, and what to listen for. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I did change, change mouthpieces, um, adjusted a little bit. Sure. Uh, are there plans to tour with this or play any of the pieces with a, a, an orchestra that might engage you? Well, uh, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, financially, it wouldn't be feasible for me to put put something together. It would have to be an orchestra. But I, you know, that's a that's a fairly difficult nut to crack in terms of um, getting on the circuit of being invited in orchestras. My experience has been with with uh, wind ensembles and brass bands doing clinics and then soloing in that environment. Doing in an orchestra situation, it's a little 
it's it probably will be difficult. I would love to do it, and I, if anybody's out there listening, please invite me. I would love to play some of those. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I, it would, it's quite lovely. I did uh, I did play this play a couple of them with a um, with a local orchestra, and um, the the rhythm section is incredibly difficult to put together, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. and and so that's that's going to be the challenge, no matter where we go. But it was it was lovely fun mm-hmm. fun to do okay so some arrangements um of course written for orchestra they'll get transcribed for wind ensemble what is there a possibility that that could happen here or do you want to stay i can, you know what forget i said that because the strings sound perfect it, it would <laughs> it would be blasphemy i guess to to change them well there's no they, i haven't had a conversation about um um by the way uh i own these arrangements these orchestrations and so they're 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 um my property and i have not even thought about orchestrating these for a wind ensemble um yeah so i mean i mean i thought i take that back i thought about it but i'm there's no plans to do it right sure sure um you know i had done a a very small project recording project with one of my groups a few years ago and i own the arrangements too but what i found out is where you start to pay for things is if you try to publish any of the charts <laughs> yeah you know i mean it's one thing to put the the uh the mp3 the wave file out there right the sound but if you try to actually print and sell the music holy cow there are some yep. hoops big hoops you got to jump through yeah, and I don't plan on publishing it. I just, I just wanted to make sure that I had the rights on these things so they didn't just, just go out there. And you know, I can't stop people from trying to hack it. Um, but, but I'm, I'm certainly keeping these proprietary. Mm-hmm. Um, plans for anything else coming up? Maybe another project? Yeah, I, you know, I did. Uh, well. During Christmas time, I did release a single. I did the Christmas Waltz with with a, a similar orchestra. They were in Venezuela, and that turned out really nice. It was a fun single. I've been asked uh, to to put a, a Christmas album, and I don't really want to devote that much energy to put a Christmas album out yet. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would try it on a single, and then maybe maybe we'll add some later on and create enough over time to build an album. But I'm working on an, uh, another single. And it is a Venezuelan folk song. I can't tell you, uh, uh, I'm not allowed to tell you about it yet, except that it's, it's, it's a fun, kind of a f- very difficult and fast piece, mm-hmm. never been done with, uh, for, for um, a wind instrument. And I am being, I'm bringing on a guest uh, artist. And he, is, he's, he lives in the United States, but he's not originally from the US. And he's an amazing, amazing, uh, trombonist and so uh it's a duet and he has agreed i just don't want to let the cat out of the bag quite yet but it's really going to be fun it's great i'm really excited to to be able to work with him i'm going to have to create some sort of contest right people are going to have to send in their <laughs> guess as to who this might be and uh if they get it right um of course they won't know it for a long time <laughs> if they that's get right. It right that's right um Okay, so I am thinking about recording, and, and you kind of talked about this a, a few minutes ago about how the pandemic hit and people started creating things, put themselves online. Um, have you done that? Had you thought about doing that? Did you perceive any risks or advantage in doing that? Well, not just that I was just planning on, on scrapping it if the product, end product didn't sound right. I mean, I just, I didn't know. I don't, you know, Larry, I don't have a lot of experience in this. I had very little rec- like recording experience, just going and showing up into the recording studio and, and recording tracks for someone is fine. But, um, but to record your own project and have that blend. And I mean, it was just way over my head, mm-hmm. way over my head. So I just had to try it and see. Um, yeah. So uh, what about putting stuff out on social media? Um, you know well, what I mean? Because during all of this, people are putting everything out there from their, their lip slur of the day to, uh, you know, the excerpt of the day. 
Um, but I, I didn't know, had you, I'm trying to remember, I don't know that I saw anything. Um, early on during the, the, the start of the pandemic, I was doing some, um, what I call the micro recitals where I would do one or two songs. And I got a lot of great positive feedback from folks. Um, and then I do occasionally do some, some posts, but they're, they're not typically uh, exercises. I'm mm. not a big fan of those. There's plenty out there for that. And they're great, you know, teachers out there. And I get, I'm, you know, I'm doing much more Zoom lessons during these COVID times. I think people feel more comfortable reaching out to me. And, and so I, I'll help, but to just post, um, you know, lip slurs, is just kind of not my thing. Right. And, and so I, I just want to, I want to make, make music. And, and so when I post something out, out there, it's going to be something that I hope is impactful or I hope that young people go, you know what? I didn't think about playing it like that. It's much more lyrical. Um, maybe that's, well, that's, it's, it's the way, uh, Hokan came out with a Charlie you know, that's exactly what I thought when oh, he yeah. was like, oh, that's a great way to, that's a great interpretation of that one. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it, it gave him a whole new vantage point, a whole new perspective on some of these. Um, and by the way, I can't play them on C trumpet. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I mean, some, of those are, on C. some of those are just ridiculous. At least he's not transposing them, right? <laughs> uh, he's, he's a beautiful, I mean, he's one of my, one of my heroes. He's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. But, so thinking yeah. about that, though, modeling sound, uh, do, is Hokan one of those that you that you try to model? or? Well, modeling somebody's sound now is a little different. I just admire um, qualities of particular sounds and phrasings. You know, like Hokan is, um, it's, it's warm. No matter how brilliant he's playing, it still has that warm quality. It's got that thick core to it even when he's mm -hmm. he's playing something brilliant um it's more about the quality of the sound are you playing in the center of the of the horn is it the, the core of the sound is it full mm -hmm. or is it kind of flabby well i'm not going to like that right so it's it's the qualities of the sound that i admire so much um and and i'm just trying to achieve the best that i can possibly get out out of my instrument you know mm -hmm. Um, well, I'd, I'd say you're pretty successful in that. I wish I could play stuff here on the, on the, on the recording here, but. So there's a, there's a couple in here. One you're looking at is uh, track six is Chiquilin de Pachin. And yeah, that's it. the other, the other pit Piazzolla is a Romance del Diablo. And those are incredibly difficult pieces uh, to play. They're very lyrical, of course. Um, Chiquilin de Pachin is a, is a piece that um, uh, uh, Piazzolla wrote. He was, having, um, he was having dinner, a glass of wine and dinner outside in, in Spain somewhere. And he's sitting with his, his, um, his uh, I think the lyricist and, and up comes this little boy who was, you know, basically out there begging, but he was selling some flowers to them and trying to make some money and just a little boy. And they asked him, you know, what he does with the money. And he's, he makes a little bit of money, takes it home to his mom. And he goes, then he, the next morning gets up and goes to school. And they felt, they had this overwhelming feeling of, of um, kind of almost embarrassed for the, the mm. how different their lifestyles were. You know, they were having this wonderful evening, hanging out, having a glass of wine. There's this poor boy right mm -hmm. and out of that experience esther writes this beautiful melody and that's what i'm in kind of visualizing in my head when i'm when i'm playing it, it it's but not you a know, tango i mean you well, know I... it is um but like a lot of piazzolas they don't the these argentinian tangos have have i mean he wrote what almost 500 tangos i think it is and they all, they don't, what's so beautiful, at least in my opinion, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, the authority on Argentinian tango. So I, you know, mm -hmm. don't, don't, no one yell and scream at me, but, but they don't have, they don't have a, 
um, a heavy pulse. Mm -hmm. It's very, very fluid. Like, like you would hear a jazz guitar, a drummer play brushes where it's just a shh. It's just the swirl, this very fluid movement. Mm -hmm. And that's, was, that's what made that, this thing so difficult was mm -hmm. because I'm trying to scoot up from, from low, low E, e flat to the high E flat um, and not sound, you know, pressed. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, it was it's a, it was just a great great piece. Um, you know, thinking about lyricism though, Larry, you mentioned we were talking just briefly about about these lip slurs and things on mm -hmm. on social media. I, I do want to say that that um, there are a lot of great ones great ones out there where they're doing these incredible um, uh, etudes and and whatnot. But I but I still think that that sometimes the young players actually even some very accomplished players they still forget that it's still it should be music it should still move it should go mm -hmm. have a direction mm -hmm. you know it's not just da 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 da, da. it's got to have flow and you can say it flows but it still ha you, there has to be some intentionality in terms of you know when i'm when i'm playing a um uh, de pacin i'm looking at the music and I'm, I'm looking at the printed music and saying, I have to be intentional. If I want it to feel like it's moving, then you've got to kind of focus on the arsis and thesis of a, of a phrase mm -hmm. and, and know where that is and mark it and do it because it's just not going to happen automatically. I mean, there's mm -hmm. some people, they're very, there's exceptions to the rule like Hokan or, or somebody like that where the, the, this lyricism probably probably started very very naturally for him i on the other hand am teaching myself look trying to learn what that means mm -hmm. and and making note of it and i think you have to do that with the etudes you've got to do it with lip slurs mm -hmm. um you've just got to do it uh my interview with mark gould last year i think yeah. was was a pivotal a uh, pivotal one, and we were talking about uh, the audition process for, uh, I think it was Juilliard. And he said, you know, in the first phrase or so, he can tell uh, whether somebody's being musical. If if they can turn a phrase, then they've got his ear, and there's a chance oh, yeah. they'll, they'll get in. And, you know, I thought, um, I'm going to try that with etudes, you know, uh, go back to the Voxman studies or you know, any of these things that just can sometimes seem mindless. Um, I, so you turn the metronome off, right? And you just start to try to, even if it's triple tongue exercise, you still try to make it a phrase, try to make it musical. For sure. And there's a yeah. challenge to that, right? But I think, um, I don't know, I th it's I think way more interesting to do it that way. Well, I think, you know, I'm not a, um, you know, a, a career orchestra audition guy, you know, so I'm not, I'm not going around trying to audition for orchestras, but I, but you hear, you're starting to hear this buzz from, from a lot of very accomplished principal trumpet players around the country or around the world that are saying, you know, it's okay to have your own style. Like we've gone, we've gone so far to make things so regimented and perfect mm -hmm. that it, all the orchestras are starting, starting to sound similar. And I think we're finally kind of figuring out that, that you need to be unique. I mean, we knew when New York was playing, we knew that sound. We knew when Chicago Symphony was playing that we knew right. that sound. And, and the, 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 we have to just be careful that we're not watering all this down. It's wonderful to know these principal players and these orchestras. I think when they're expressing themselves, it's fantastic, in my opinion. That's where excitement really, really begins. You know, not even orchestras, but I'm thinking about the albums that I had growing up. And, you know, I could put mm. Al Hurd on. Boy, that's a recognizable sound immediately. That's true. Right? It Very wasn't true. Maynard and it wasn't yeah. uh, Herb Alpert, right? I mean, Al Hurd sounded, uh, talking about brilliant sound and the technique. Uh, but then on the flip side, Herb Alpert, you know, that was, I was grateful that I right. listened to a lot of his playing growing up because, well, there's some great lyricism uh, in what he did. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, um, 
Harry James was a, a big, mm-hmm. a big influence in my life. And, and I talk a lot about Harry James in the earlier days um, in the forties and fifties, where he was really trying to focus on lyricism. I mean, he, he even talks about how he was modeling after Judy Garland's, mm-hmm. you know, voice and and also violins were a big piece of of his thinking when he was playing a lot of these lyrical mm-hmm. lines so yeah i mean it's there's plenty of great examples of that for sure um i i wanted to ask i didn't want to forget about the uh the obligato in ashokan farewell <laughs> yeah. did you write that no i didn't write it i did you know most everything in here was uh was written by my arranger but i um, you'll, if you compare what he arranged and what my, my notes are, there are a lot of turns and things in there that I, um, I did add, mm-hmm. but I didn't write the core of those, of, mm-hmm. of that allegato. No, um, you'll, you'll hear a lot of bends and slides and, and mordants and different things like that. Yeah. I, I do those typically. Uh, that was really nice. I was surprised to hear that. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, a, a violinist would have done that, too. I mean, I, mm. I should probably go back to the the original and listen to that. It may do that there. But um, OK, so album aside, how's life been? Um, but uh, life's been really good, um, you know, to me. I know it's been hard for a lot of folks during COVID. Emotionally wise, you know, not getting my musical fix. So it's, that's been really, really difficult. But, but overall, you know, when you pull music aside during COVID, my kids were, were, um, you know, home at home, um, remote learning. Mm-hmm. And it was an opportunity for my wife and I, be, we would split our days at, at, with, with work and whatnot. So half of the morning would be my wife, you know, helping the kids. And in the second half of the day, I'd come home and uh, we, I would work with the kids and it was, was wonderful to, to, get to know our kids better and we learned about how they learn Mm -hmm. and how what and and how they think and it's was really a special time i mean i i we took advantage of it in a a good way Mm -hmm. um but now the i just can't wait for things to get back i mean i had uh, performances scheduled in france and in england last before COVID hit and it all decimated um some other ones last year actually then mm-hmm. and it never it never wavered so we had to cancel those just like a lot of folks though i'm sure. not alone no yeah well and that's that's a i don't know if it's comforting to think that or not but uh you know that we're not alone everybody suffered through this to some extent um well you even mentioned this earlier too and i i'd said this many times in other podcasts other interviews is that so much creative creativity comes out of all of this right i mean you think about uh the it's a very general thing but the blues right i mean it's written out of it's not happy times right i mean you got to suffer before you can write it and sing it uh, i i think that's right this there's been some amazing stuff uh, coming out um mm-hmm. i i've just i yeah i had my own my own challenges with my recordings but but boy some people have done some great great things you know talking about um uh did you have you seen chris smith's um his his youtube videos i mean yeah. he is amazing to i he may not say this but it's definitely been a, a way for him to ex, to get his expression out, his his emotions out, mm-hmm. just doing something right during mm-hmm. during the crazy COVID times, and he blows my mind. He's a mm-hmm. really an amazing player to do those. Um, yeah, wonderful stuff out there. Well, uh, if I'm thinking about the right person, this is the guy that had the giant beard, right? <laughs> That's did. him, right? And I think he shaved it towards the end. It was unrecognizable, maybe in a yes. A later video, but um, you know, nothing's ever going to go back to normal. This is the new normal, and I think uh, orchestras and uh, independent artists like yourself, there's going to be an awful lot of people that are going to have to pivot. Right? We can't go back to what necessarily was before the pandemic. Um, I, I don't know that that support structure is there anymore, and people have learned that technology can <laughs> can replace 
a lot of things, but we can't let it replace it, right? It's got to it's got to augment it or highlight it. Yeah, if I had a choice to do my recording in person, you know, I, I you need that energy. You do. Um, that was that was one of the challenges of getting a recording out was how do you create in some way the energy that 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 is expressed or felt on stage or in you know when you're working side by side the orchestra had that advantage because they were together in a room but they didn't have me in the room um to to play along so they didn't have that energy to feed off of so um yeah we need we need to have live music back we need to get on stage now i know a lot's happening the further you know east you go from from my neck of the woods the better it's getting in terms mm -hmm. of of um performances but it's still very very slow going back and i think i think we're just going to have to create our own music experiences though i mean mm -hmm. I, whether we're doing recitals or we're you know yeah um yeah i don't know or micro recitals where did you come up with that name i don't know i have no idea i just i didn't want to do a full recital because the reality is nobody has the, has an interest in listening to a full recital online I'm, i you know contrary to what if you if you based um the amount of money that's being spent on online concerts and performances for the most part most of them are not doing that well mm -hmm. they the the following on those are, are not that great there are some exceptions i think links lincoln center jazz orchestra is Mm -hmm. off the charts mm -hmm. but they're they're just people aren't going to sit and listen and they're definitely not going to listen to my recital they don't even, you know i'm uh -huh. i'm just to do a recital and do six or seven or whatever tunes nobody's going to sit through that and yeah. i just wanted to, to play one or two just to, to make sure i got folks's attention mm -hmm. so you mentioned teaching earlier um have you maintained a, a pretty decent teaching load I, and no, no, I, um, I, I never, you know, I'm an, a what you call a serial entrepreneur. I mean, I, I think I've shared this with you in our, our previous visit. And so I have um, commercial and residential rentals and, and properties in, in the Tacoma mm -hmm. area. And that, that keeps me busy. Um, I also have a, a, another small sort of a technology type of business that, that supports small business owners in, in the area. Mm -hmm. But um, um, I forgot where I was going with this, Larry, you have to help me out. I lost oh, track about, about I your uh, teaching, about teaching. Yeah, lessons. and so, so teaching hasn't really been, except for clinics, teaching hasn't been really on the top of my list to do. I just feel that there's so many great teachers out there that I didn't think I added a lot more except for a few few little areas and so i have a lot of folks reaching out to me to to grab uh, a few lessons mm -hmm. um canada and and um, spain and um i mean just different in some students a lot of adults as well and um and so i enjoy really enjoy meeting new people that way and helping in, in mm -hmm. that in those ways um Bobby Shu is doing a lot of this international teaching. Uh, he oh, was telling he's, me he's he's got people all over the world, and I'm thinking, well, what happens when you've got somebody that's 12 hours ahead of you or behind you? <laughs> Does you know somebody's going to have to be up in the middle of the night? Yep. Uh, I hope it wouldn't it wouldn't be me. <laughs> well, well, I I can tell you that that the some the young players that have that have reached out they want to connect and so they're willing to get up in the middle of the night and grab a lesson and yeah. i i applaud them for that yeah. i think i think if you want it and you're hungry enough to do it then you should just do it yeah anyway so but bobby shu by the way you you know every time bobby shu's name is mentioned i just i'm just i just love that guy uh well he's he's amazing. been my uh he's kind of saved my backside here through all of this um and I, I can yeah. tell you about that here in a second, but hey, yeah. um, where can where can people get Tornada? Um, uh, it's available on uh, at um, Bob Reeves's website. So he's selling it for me, and then I believe it's on Amazon as well. I'm not selling it just because it's that that's way over my head in terms of mm -hmm. skill set. 
but but check out um, Bob Reeves' uh, website. It's on it's on their 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 site there. Great. So and they do international shipping, and I hope I hope you um, folks listening will en- will enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to keep promoting it as much as I can. But um, thanks, Larry. So hey, this has been been fun to visit uh, again. Oh. And uh, I'm really looking forward to May. The end of May is not that far away. I know. Right. I know. Thank. Yeah. I just, I'm really looking forward to seeing you and and everybody else too. But uh, Larry, thank you. um, Seriously. Thank you so much for inviting me to, to chat with you. And and for the first time too, you know, I got a lot of feedback from, from that, from different folks around and, and, but taking a, a chance on really just somebody that's sitting here in the Northwest and, um, trying to trying to make a little noise i do really really appreciate it it means a lot to me it's an honor for me to be with you well i i'll flip that around it's an honor to be able to talk to you you know it's uh Uh, i uh i have a lot of fun doing this you know that though right i do yeah i do yeah um thanks again for doing oh, this, of course. not not yeah. not sending it to me. I'm talking about thanks for putting it together. Thanks for oh. this wonderful piece of uh, art that you've put out there. Thanks. I you know I'm I, I'm happy that a few people are willing to listen to it. It's great. It's really really quite exciting. I oh let me tell you one thing though that I uh, was very very proud of is that uh, you know the the Spanish Channel uh, television program um, or television station called Univision. Yeah. They're the largest. So I was featured on Univision and I talked about this and the, the influence Rafael Mendez had in my, my playing. So that was pretty big highlight for me. In Spanish. And, and so they, yeah, they translated their, their reporter could speak fluently and then they, they put subtitles underneath and I, I thought maybe that you uh, were fluent in Spanish. And... <laughs> I wish I've been, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, I have a tough enough time learning the music language, let alone another another language. So, no, no. not yet. Yeah. Well, man, it's great to see you. Um, Good to see you. Yeah, and, and to chat with you. Thanks, man. Okay. Take Thank care. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye bye.